Welcome to the Spiritual Leadership Podcast with Pastor Paul Chapel, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and founder and president of West Coast Baptist College. Thank you for joining us today for our Spiritual Leadership Podcast, and we're getting back on schedule for the fall season and uh, really excited about what God has in store. I hope you've had a great summer and uh, took some time uh, with family and with the Lord. And uh, Terry and I had some time away and also with family. I was able to visit my mother who's been struggling with Alzheimer's and uh, was so convicted to see that with her diminished capacity to remember so many things, the one thing that she has not forgotten is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we took her to get a hamburger one day, I looked up and she had gotten up from the table and there she was passing out tracks and asking people in the restaurant if they died, did they know for sure that they would spend eternity in heaven? And I thought, you know, they took away my mom's driver's license, my mom's credit cards, and yet she puts gospel tracts in her purse and remembers the main thing. And let me just open today with that thought. There's one main thing, and it's the gospel. And if we forgot everything else, let's never forget the power of the gospel. Because ministry is all about getting Christ out into this world. And sometimes we seem to focus on the packaging of the ministry, the uh, service programming, the websites, all the staff org charts, but we forget that the package is not as important as the present, and Jesus Christ is the present or the gift that we want to give. So uh, with that, I'm so glad to join with you today and uh, looking forward to this time together. You know, uh, a few months ago, we conducted our spiritual leadership conference here in Lancaster, and uh, what a time. I am always amazed at the people that come from across the country and really around the world uh, to be a part of the spiritual leadership conference. And one of the things that we did at the conference was uh, some Q&A sessions, and we took questions, uh, and we were answering in a group panel, and as we always see in a typical Baptist conference, uh, I preached or others preached too long, and so the Q&A time was not long enough. And I promised uh, the delegates that I would try to answer some of those questions uh, in today's podcast. And so let's dive right into it. The first question is one I hear a lot. It says, as millennial pastors, there is often a feeling of divide between us and the older generation of pastors. We want to be mentored by them. What are some ways that millennial pastors can bridge the divide to be closer and learn more from the older preachers? Well, first of all, I wanna thank you for that question. Um, isn't the devil great at dividing? And uh, I, I have spent many years preaching and trying to practice Philippians 1.27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that's my heart, together uh, for the gospel, striving together for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes when millennial pastors don't sense that uh, collaborative effort between the generations, it's discouraging. Um, and sometimes they'll even move slight uh, theological shifts in order to find uh, that feeling. And, and let me just say uh, to you today, First of all, before you make a theological shift, 
let's, let's dig into this question because uh, there is no doubt in my mind that older pastors, and I'm not, I'm not sure that I am one, I think I'm in denial. <laughs> uh, I'm 55, uh, so probably to most uh, guys, I'm, I'm an older pastor now. I know my passion is to understand and work with uh, the millennial generation. I did a session at Spiritual Leadership Conference that really dealt with that, and we talked about how millennials think differently, and sometimes uh, our generation and, and the men that mentored me certainly were top-down managers and leaders, declarative style of uh, preaching and even leading. Uh, I brought a lot of that into ministry. And frankly, I've been on a journey for many years myself to learn more about servant leadership, more about what it means to be a collaborative leader. So let me tell you this, from the heart of an older pastor, sometimes the concept of, of uh, creativity and the concept of development of the plan and, and working through it is actually cumbersome. And something that uh, uh, an older pastor, uh, his strength is the wisdom from the years, his weakness is his inability to listen. And that's something the Lord's been teaching me. And so I think with you as a younger pastor, my challenge to you would be, First of all, make sure that you are building whatever area you have. Make sure that you're very persistently seeking God, seeking to bear fruit. Um, no one likes to take counsel from someone who's really accomplishing very little or bringing little to the table. If you feel God's using you and you have ideas that aren't being implemented, you certainly have every right to bring those into the context of conversation with an older pastor, either the one you work for or ones you wanna collaborate with. And I would suggest to you that that process begin in more of an informal moment of, could I get some time together with you? And you sit down maybe at a Starbucks and you begin to discuss your heart and you ask questions. Always remember, questions stimulate the conscience, accusations harden the heart. So if you begin the conversation with, I just don't think your generation understands, et cetera, et cetera, close doors. If you begin the conversation with, how can we uh, bridge a gap that's maybe sometimes more perceived than real? And then you begin. Uh, I can tell you here at Lancaster Baptist, we've really been reformatting how we even do staff meetings. Uh, a lot of the development of events now is by our staff team, by guys that are millennials. Um, they're, they're wanting my vision. They're wanting parameters, so to speak. They're wanting heart. But they, they love when I say, okay, put this together, including uh, the entire fall program this fall, and including they assigned me my uh, preaching topic, which is game changers. And so uh, they kind of came and said, here's the fall season, here's what we think would be a great theme, and I'm gonna run with it. So, uh, but a lot of that has been patience on the part of, of men that work with me to allow me to grow. So I would tell you, meet with your leader uh, in the right moment and in the right way Allow him to grow uh, because I know he wants to work with you. Um, and then I would say to the older pastors, we've got we've to stop uh, the idea that every young pastor just wants to get on a slippery slope and, and compromise. Um, there's always a fear, and I have it, uh, with, with younger uh, millennials that do a couple of different things. You're like, where's this going? Well, it's not always going uh, as a departure from the faith. So as older pastors, we need to, to realize that millennials are gonna reach millennials and 
uh, we do need to work together. And I hope something I uh, shared with you there would, would encourage you uh, to keep on engaging and conversing. Uh, the next question is, how can a pastor encourage newly saved people to serve in the church uh, when they may feel judged because of their outward appearance or their past mistakes? How do you balance upholding conservative doctrine, I suppose here he means uh, separation, with allowing people room to grow? That's a great question. It's something that uh, I feel we have not done a great job with in a lot of our uh, conservative Bible-believing Baptist churches. Um, and that is allowing for growth. So let me give you some thoughts on that. First of all, uh, I would say that uh, one of the critical moments in a, in a person's life is discipleship. When they first get saved, they need discipleship. They need to know the biblical foundation and the reasons for biblical separation. The day of just giving someone a list of rules about appearance and behavior, that day's gone. You say, well, you don't believe in rules? No, I still believe in guidelines, biblical guidelines, but what they need is the biblical premise for the standard, not just the standard. Now, before they get the standard, what they need is a relationship. Discipleship not only gives them the biblical foundation, discipleship gives them a personal relationship. Let me illustrate it this way. If I were to stand up in my pulpit and if I were to say uh, something in the way of a warning against some ecumenical kind of, of, a, of an evangelism or some, some meeting where divergent doctrinal persuasions, those that are uh, even uh, uh, maybe emergent or maybe questioning authority of scriptures are gonna share a platform with quote evangelicals. It's something that I see as an uncertain sound, something that we should come out and be separate. I'm gonna stand up and say, folks, be aware of the fact that this meeting is not a biblical meeting. We're not going to support it. Well, a new Christian sitting there, they're going, this church doesn't even support other Christian meetings and they don't understand that. And sometimes they quietly leave a Bible preaching church because they just think, I can't handle this. Uh, and and uh, sometimes just slip out from our fellowship. What I have found, people that go through discipleship, before they slip out, they're at least gonna talk to their discipler because they have a relationship. And the discipler is going to be able to say, you know what, the pastor is a shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, pastor is the under shepherd, and he's commanded to warn us. And that was the spirit of what pastor said. So if you have a discipleship philosophy and relationship in the church, number one, you're gonna help people to get a foothold and to understand the direction of the church. Secondly, be patient with these people. Allow them time to grow. They're gonna grow through the word. They're gonna grow through modeling. In our church, I don't uh, necessarily preach every week about some form of you know do this or don't do that or you know every week about separation issues. Now I preach very strong messages in the sense of biblical principles and and I'll preach against uh, you know Hollywood and some of the things that preachers preach against. But what I found to be a great tool beyond my preaching is the modeling, the life that I live, the life that our staff lives. People are just going to watch that. So new Christians kind of begin to sense that. Now, there's some things they're probably never going to be able to change, like tattoos. Well, we as, as uh, preachers in 2017 need to realize we, we need to love and accept people with their past. But by the same token, uh, we want to encourage them to find their new identity in Jesus Christ. That comes through Bible preaching and modeling. 
So we have discipled them, we're being patient with them. The third step is uh, give them an entry point ministry that doesn't require the same level of commitment maybe that will be needed later, illustration. Uh, there may be work days at church, there may be uh, certain ministries that you have uh, in the church that, that they maybe are still growing in some areas, but they could serve in that area. Now, for someone in our church to be in the choir, to be a teacher, to be a platform person, uh, we actually, at that point then, step four, sit down with a person who wants a more visible ministry, and we begin to explain to them what we call uh, our leadership requirements. Those requirements uh, speak to the issue of separation unto the Lord, uh, worship, giving, faithfulness, and away from the world. And those issues would involve abstinence from alcohol, uh, that would involve uh, their entertainment choices, it would involve uh, their uh, they're identifying uh, in, in areas of masculinity and femininity, especially in the context of our campus and worship. And we talk to them about our philosophy. <clears throat> so uh, the process involves relational discipleship. The process involves uh, modeling and mentoring. It involves patiently waiting. And then it involves personally discussing with them, hey, if you really now, after a year or two, want to become a leader here, then we want to be an extension of the, of the Lord's ministry and the pastor's ministry. Here's some things that we need to consider. And uh, it takes time. And if you're pastoring a new work, you want it to happen overnight. And sometimes in a brand new work, you're going to have some folks serving in some areas that maybe are a little rough around the edges. If their heart is right and they're growing, uh, you've got to make those decisions yourself. And uh, I, I tell you, I sometimes see a guy that, you know, he's a little shaggy, but he's got the joy of the Lord and uh, he's so happy to be saved. And then you've got the guy that, boy, he's just as straight as an arrow, but he, he can't even smile. And uh, sometimes I'd rather take the new Christian and, uh, and run with it. So uh, you take what God has given you and develop and go forward from there. Next, uh, what is uh, appropriate to delegate to an executive pastor as far as leading staff and what areas must not be delegated? Well, that, that's a great question and, and many churches do not have an executive pastor. The, the executive term is probably newer in uh, my experience in Christianity over the last 10 or 20 years. The executive pastor is the person that is overseeing staff and developing the ministry mission of the staff and then working more directly with pastor. Really, our church, uh, we've been a mega church as they call it since probably 1992. And uh, the burden of that over the time uh, is something that uh, is hard to explain unless you've lived through it. But there are so many decisions, so many moving parts. And the longer I pastor, the more I wanna preach godly quality messages. Uh, and I believe I've always had that passion, but it's greater and greater. So if I can have someone that will work with our teams to develop the fall program, to develop uh, the outreach, the open house Sundays, the, to develop uh, all of the connections between soul winning, discipling, Sunday school, ushering, assimilation teams, all these types of things, uh, to help when a nursery worker's had a trial, to help me make sure that uh, facilities are ready, all these things. Uh, it's a tremendous blessing. Uh, the executive pastor, 
uh, has authority. He has authority to uh, uh, do a lot of the hiring. Uh, he has authority to do a lot of the uh, purchasing uh, and so forth. And so uh, in our case, I meet with Gabriel, who's our executive pastor. We kind of outline uh, direction we have for various components of the ministry. He takes that heart into the meetings. I still pop into the meetings and share devotions, give my heart. His working at the level he's working at with teams allows me to go around and maybe be a little more encouraging individually. Um, and uh, uh, he's learning how to confront a lot of the situations where there's bottlenecks in the ministry. And uh, that's another big help to me. I'm willing to do that. I might even be gifted at that, but uh, it's just a matter of, of uh, time and it's a matter of uh, good, better, and best. And so in the right context, when you have a man that uh, has administrative heart and, and a loyal heart and a loving heart, it can be a fantastic uh, combination of using spiritual gifts. I hope something I said helped you with that question. Uh, there's entire books written on the subject, uh, but it really just boils down to, Paul said in the Philippian, to the Philippians concerning Timothy, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Speaking of Timothy, that's the executive pastor. He takes the heart of the pastor and he cares for the flock in the way the pastor would. All right. Um, the Bible says in Galatians 1.10, this next question, uh, that we're not to fear man. How can I avoid that trap? Why is the fear of man such a trap? Why do I even care what other men think? Thank you for the honest question. You know, the Bible is clear about this and the fear of man is a snare. <clears throat> but I also want to remind you the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So ultimately, we need to wake up every day and, and we need to, as the, as the saying goes, uh, sing for an audience of one. And, the, and that one is Jesus Christ. But we all grow up, uh, I believe, with, with a childlike desire to have uh, approval uh, from, a, from a father figure. And that, that's not often found in today's broken homes. I don't know why God created us that way, except I believe he wanted us ultimately to learn to look to him as the one that we should want to please. I really believe that's the divine transfer that takes place. And, and there's a balancing with Bible doctrines because in one sense, the Bible teaches very clearly, we are accepted in the beloved. But it also teaches that uh, we need to be a warrior, 2 Timothy chapter two, that pleases him. So yes, I'm accepted in the beloved, but I don't take that for granted in the sense of living however I wanna live. I still passionately want to please him. So God wants us to transfer the pleasing man philosophy into the pleasing God heartbeat. And I would just say that uh, in one sense, we should care what men think because of something called our testimony. So the best verse I know to bring that whole question together is Acts 24, 16, which, in which Paul said, as he stood before the Roman governor, uh, he said, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. So Paul was really living to please the Lord, first of all, in his conscience, right with God, but also so that no man could falsely accuse him. So he really did care what men thought. Now, seeking man's approval, that is a trap. It's a trap that I've had to deal with. I think every young pastor has to deal with it. Um, and I, I think to some extent, every pastor of all ages, is my tie straight? Was my sermon good? And by the way, 
Don't ask your wife after church on Sunday how the sermon was because she'll be really honest with you. <laughs> My wife often says to me, uh, that was a great sermon. A little long, but a great sermon. So, you know, wives can uh, really uh, have a way of humbling you that way. I remember years ago, my very first time, the very first time I preached with my future wife present, her, of course, Terry was there and some of our friends, and, and uh, we were in a setting where uh, I preached to a, a small group and I preached about Noah and I preached about the antediluvian society and everything that I knew about Noah. And the whole message took me eight minutes. God's grace, all of it, eight minutes. And every once in a while on a Sunday afternoon, Terry will say, hey, why don't you preach that message on Noah you preached years ago? That was really a good message. And we know it wasn't the content, right? It was the length. So uh, uh, just, just know that uh, living for the fear of man, uh, for the approval of man or the approval of wife can really be hurtful at times. So uh, it, it's something that we all struggle with. All I can do is point you to the Lord. And, and what I have found is trials will come with men and men will disappoint, and that just drives you right back to the reality of what we're talking about. Keep trusting and keep looking to the Lord. Well, final question. Can you discuss the use of numerical measurements to manage and measure ministries, attendance, soul save, baptize, etc.? Interesting question. Uh, there's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. God uh, at times emphasizes, uh, counts, rolls, numbers of soldiers and chariots. There's another time when there was sin in numbering the people. So to the extent that we find our strength in numbers, it is a sin. Uh, to the extent that we're just trying to sense the health of the church, it's probably necessary. The Bible says, know the state of the flock. And so I am somewhat of a statistical nut so I want to know uh, how many people have been saved this year, how many of those are in discipleship, how many of those are in a, uh, you know, uh, one of our connection group classes. Um, we, we just really work to try to understand the process of soul winning, discipleship, assimilation. Uh, we use uh, four C's, and perhaps you've heard me talk about this, but you know, we canvas our community in soul winning. We want to get everyone that visits the church into a connection group or a Sunday school class. We want everyone in the connection group to attend the core class where I teach the basic beliefs of the church. And we want everyone that's in a Sunday school class to get into the continued discipleship. So those are our four C's, canvas, and then connect, and then core, and then continue discipleship. And so I, I, I have a weekly report on attendances for outreach, discipleship, etc., And so I believe to the extent that you're watching those numbers for the purpose of analyzing the health of the church or knowing where there's a weakness that you need to preach about or pray about more, it's a good thing to study. Uh, I cannot explain why sometimes churches are up or down in attendance. It frustrates me as well. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with you know, moving and you know, issues that come up but we know our calling is to be faithful in every season. So I challenge you to do that. Well, I have a feeling we're coming toward the end of our time here. I do wanna just share a verse with you uh, that really blessed my heart this summer. Uh, I was able to uh, spend a good amount of time in reading and, and uh, preparing for the fall. Not as much as normal because of some family health issues as I mentioned earlier. But here's a great verse that helped me and I don't know what you're going through today, but let me share it with you. 
from Job 21 and, uh, excuse me, Job 22 and verse 21. And uh, just, just let this sink in for a minute and I hope it will bless your heart. Acquaint thyself now with him and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace and good shall come unto thee. Back to that question about the fear of man. Hey, it's great when men are excited about what you're doing, but sometimes they're not gonna be excited at all. Sometimes they're gonna be jealous, sometimes they're gonna be critical, sometimes they're gonna be angry. So I encourage you, acquaint now thyself with him, with the Lord, and be at peace. And then he promises to us, thereby good shall come unto thee. Sort of sounds like seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things shall be added unto you. Hey, thanks for joining with us and I hope some of these answers to the questions struck a chord with you. Remember that success is a moving target, leadership is a fixed goal, and make Jesus that goal in your life this fall. God bless. We trust you enjoyed this episode of Spiritual Leadership Podcast. If there's a question or topic you would like Pastor Chapel to address in future episodes, send an email to qa at lancasterbaptist.org.